may be seated. Morning, everyone. Um, I'm Steve Robertson. Uh, a lot of you know me, and uh, a lot of you probably don't. I'm uh, one of your missionaries, and uh, when we are in the U.S., this is our home base, and we're just here for a couple weeks for a family wedding, but it's wonderful for us to be able to be here and for me to be with you this morning. Um, if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. A uh, passage is also printed in your worship guide. But Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at scriptures starting at verse 28 of Luke chapter 9. Now this is what the Word of God says. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men who stood with him and as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is God's word. This is truth, and not just inconsequential truth. This is truth that we need for life. So let's look to the Lord in prayer that he would guide us in his truth. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that those two together work in us to give us understanding and to change us. You've promised that you'll conform us to the image of your son. And so we ask that you would continue to do that even this morning. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Who are you? Who am I? You know, I'm a husband, a father, a son, a sibling, a pastor, a missionary, an Alabama fan, forgive me, a friend, a boss, an employee. Uh, who are we? It's a good question to wrestle with. The, the question of Luke chapter 9 is, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? Herod asks, who is this? You know, has John the Baptist come back? Uh, took his head off. Is this, is this him again? What, what's going on? And no one's able to answer. And then Jesus asks his disciples, well, who do the multitudes say that I am? And they get a variety of answers. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the chosen one. 
And then we enter into this passage. And Jesus and the Father are going to give us the definitive answer. Peter's answer was right, but he didn't understand fully what it meant. And we dive into this, and we start to see something about Jesus that no one expected. And, and, you know, and this, is, this is one of the weirder passages, at least of the New Testament, right? You know, right, right there in our Bibles, uh, this paragraph is usually titled The Transfiguration. And that's like a class in Harry Potter, right? And what's it doing in our Bibles? And, you know, you have this, suddenly someone starts glowing. What's that all about? And it's just strange. And yet it's not really when we understand the full scriptures. Because this is actually something that we've seen before. There's this idea of glory that goes all through the Bible. There's this idea about God and what it is like to be in his presence and how overwhelming that is. And we don't really talk that much about glory these days. The biblical concept of something that is heavy, something that is tangible almost, and, and usually this idea of glorious, brilliant light. And, and we actually do talk about that sometimes because we talk about the brilliant student, right? Uh, we talk about someone who's going to be a star. Uh, we talk about someone who, you know, has a bright future. And these ideas of glory still come into our language and still come into our minds and into our hearts even. And, and really, you know, it's, it's what we're often seeking after, isn't it? We want people to see us that way. That's why we're so upset when people don't like what we put on social media. You know, because I want people to see and recognize that I'm someone, I'm special. But what happens here? Well, there's this incredible thing. It says that, you know, about eight days after these things, and this, is, this shows up the same way uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Peter makes his confession, and, and Jesus says this strange thing. He says, verse 27, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And, and this isn't some promise that somewhere on a Mediterranean island that no one's found, one of the apostles is still alive, waiting for Jesus to come back. It's actually fulfilled a week later. So now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And Matthew tells us that he was shining like the sun, and that his clothing turned white. And Mark says that his clothing was glowing and was whiter than any launderer on earth could make his clothing. And John doesn't write specifically about this episode, but then he tells us that in John chapter 12 that Isaiah had seen Jesus' glory and had written about him. And what's going on here is suddenly this manifestation of Jesus in this way in which he really is. And when we understand this idea through the scriptures of this glory, then suddenly we say, we've seen this before. There's, there's this pillar of fire before the Israelites as they are going through the wilderness. There's this manifestation of fire and light and lightning up on Mount Sinai. 
there is this time when the tabernacle's construction is completed and suddenly the glory of the Lord fills it such that the priests can't go in. And the same thing happens at the inauguration of the temple. And the same thing happens when Elijah is up on Mount Carmel and he calls to God and this fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice. And suddenly now the disciples are getting to see Jesus and they are hearing that Jesus, they're seeing that this glory from the Old Testament was Jesus. That Jesus was there. That this is Yahweh who is standing before them. That this is God. Is your Jesus like this? When you think of Jesus, are you understanding that we're talking about the holy, holy, holy one? That we are talking about the mighty one? That we are talking about the one who leads forth his people in glorious victory? That we are talking about the one that when Isaiah is standing there before him says, I shouldn't be here. I'm a man of unclean lips. This isn't my place. I don't belong. The voice that comes out says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This is the one that we should listen to. And biblically speaking, if you listen but don't do it, you didn't listen. The message here is, is Jesus so big, so powerful, so glorious that we long to do what he says? That we say, this is Lord. That we say, this is the mighty one and I want to follow him. And that might not always be what I want, but I can submit that to him because I see how he is. I see how bright he is. I see how wonderful he is. I see that what he is reveals who I am, and I don't want to be like that. I want to be like him. Not that I'm going to be the all-glorious one. But I want to reflect at least who he is. What does it mean to look at Jesus and realize that we're talking about God? And we're not talking about the little figure in the manger scene. Or, or maybe the painting on the wall that always has the gentle look on the face. But that this is the Lord of hosts. In the biblical imagery, the Lord of hosts is the Lord of hosts of armies. This is the mighty one. This is the one before whom the devil and his minions cannot prevail. This is the one who made a spectacle of them when he ascended to heaven. Is our Jesus like that? Is our response to him like that? What that should call us to, what that should evoke. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. John 17, Jesus is praying. He says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. See, the disciples there are getting this glimpse of Jesus as he is. 
as he really is. And, and this idea, if you're in looking at Harry Potter or whatever, idea of transfiguration, something gets transformed from what it is to what it isn't. But in the case of Jesus, he's being transformed from what he is to what he is. That he really is this man, that he really is, in this sense, this rabbi who's leading his disciples. He really is a man, and he really is the ancient one, the holy one, the one that we see described throughout the Old Testament. This is him. And in a sense, you know, the disciples probably should have died on the spot. But God, by his grace, preserved them. Because, you know, this is, this is the same Jesus that this glory blinded Saul on the road to Damascus. This, this glory was the glory that God tells Moses, you can't see all my glory and live. But something is happening here, revealing to the disciples Yes, this is Jesus, and yes, he is your teacher, and he is your rabbi, and he is the Christ. But you need to understand, this is even bigger than anything you've ever thought. And however big we may be thinking Jesus is, however great, however glorious, he's more. So how big is Jesus to you? Is this the one we worship? The Lord of glory, the holy, holy, holy one. So how can we be there? If he's like that, how can we be there? How can the disciples be there with him? How can they survive? Because we also in this passage see that he's not just the holy, holy, holy one. But we get to see his grace. That he allows others to be there. Elijah gets to be there. Moses gets to be there. How they were able to identify one another, I don't know. Uh, Would have led to some awkward introductions. Hey, I'm Moses. No, yet that Moses. Don't know how that works. But they, they, they know this is Elijah and this is Moses. And one of those odd things, you know, when we're doing our annual uh, trying to read through the Bible in a year and we get bogged down in Leviticus and don't make it to Numbers, uh, but if we make it to Numbers, in Numbers 20, there's this episode where God tells Moses, speak to the rock and water will come forth. And Moses instead takes his staff and hits it twice, strikes the rock. And because of this, God tells Moses, you can't come into the promised land. You can't come in. You have willfully rebelled. You have known exactly what I told you to do, and you decided to do something different. I told you to speak, and the people are going to see my glory. And instead, you decide to strike it, and you're bringing more glory to yourself. And God says, you may not enter the promised land. And now where's Moses? He's in the promised land. God's let him come in. God has said, a willful sinner, someone who essentially spits in my face and 
1 Corinthians 10 tells us that the rock was Christ, and Moses is actually striking Christ. Someone who will willfully spite me, I will allow into my presence. I will allow into my promised land. This Lord of glory allows people who willfully reject him to come into his presence, to partake of his glory. Instead of being destroyed, to give us life and joy with him. And so we have this great episode where, you know, Moses and sort of the apex of his ministerial career is is up on Mount Sinai. And Elijah, the apex of his ministerial career, up on Mount Carmel. And now they are up on this mountain giving testimony to Jesus. And, And this can kind of be shorthand for the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, Moses and the prophets, and these captains of the law and the prophets saying, everything that we were doing was about him. This is what we were writing about. This is what we were preaching about. This is what we were teaching about. It's all about him. And here we are up on the mountain. But this mountain isn't the apex of Jesus' ministerial career, is it? That's another mountain. And there's reference to this mountain in verse 31. Moses and Elijah had appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. His departure, uh, the Greek word under that is his exodus, his leaving. They're there to say, Jesus, you've been teaching You've been performing signs. You've been giving testimony. And now it's the time to go suffer and die. Now is the time to walk intentionally to the cross. And we don't know the content of the conversation, but just think of these tensions going on, these disciples who can't even stay awake, Jesus is going to go give his life for them even though they're going to reject him. Think of the contradiction, the paradox, this glorious one being nailed to a cross by Roman soldiers. And and you can almost just imagine these thoughts of, is it worth it? Do I really want to do this? And yet, what do we see in Jesus? Luke chapter 9 is, this passage is the hinge passage of the Gospel of Luke. Up until this point, he's ministering, he's going about, he's visiting towns, villages. From chapter 9 forward, he's going towards Jerusalem. His face set towards the city. Because this Lord of glory is so full of love that he willfully, knowingly, intentionally goes to be abandoned, to be insulted, to be scourged, to be beaten, 
to have a crown of thorns pressed into his head and nails into his hands and feet and a spear into his side. And he does it because there is no way for people like us to be in his presence unless someone does something to clean us, unless someone does something to make us right with him. And scripture tells us that the only thing that can take our sin away, the only thing that can cover rebellion, the only thing that can bring about forgiveness is the shedding of blood. And the only thing that would be effective for all who would call on his name, the only thing that would be effective for me and for you is the shedding of the blood of the one who is God and who is man. And he loves us that much. Do we understand this, Jesus? The Jesus who says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. The Jesus that says, anyone who will come to me, I will in no way cast out. The Jesus who knows the deepest, darkest, hidden corners of your heart. And he says that my grace is sufficient even for that. I bled and died even for that. Do you understand that Jesus died for you? That he died so that we could come into his presence and that what he requires of us isn't to go out and heap up our own glory isn't to go out so that other people will see how great we are, how good we are, how faithful we are. But his requirement is to admit ourselves to his glory and to recognize that his glory and his grace are sufficient and that his death and his resurrection are enough for you and for me. There's no need now for another sacrifice. What sacrifice could be better than the one done by the Lord of glory? So what do we do with this? Because the disciples, they didn't know what to do with this. Uh, if, if you're into Disney movies about the country where we live, Colombia, uh, this is the we don't talk about Bruno passage. This is the passage where they, they went away and they said, uh, I don't know what to do with that. Do you know what to do with that? No. Uh, and they don't tell anybody. They don't understand what's going on until later. And it's so easy for us just to say, yeah, that was weird and move on. But see, the thing is, if we've had an encounter with this Jesus, if we've had an encounter with this Jesus, it makes a mark. And it's a mark that doesn't go away. This Jesus who is the Lord of glory, who sheds his blood for us, it changes us. 
See, John says, we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Peter says that this is the one who has taken us so that we were a chosen race and a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What does that mark of Jesus look like on you? Is that mark making its way into your head, into your heart, into your hands, so that people will start to look at you or people will start to listen to you and they will start to understand something of what Jesus is like? Is it making its mark? And, and, and if Jesus really is this, if Jesus really is this person on this mountain and the person who went to that other mountain, Mount Calvary, and if he is this glorious and this good, why am I always seeking my own glory? Isn't his enough? What is it in us that's saying, I need to look for applause, I need to look for approval, I need to look for other people and what they think of me? When I already know that the most glorious being ever knows me and loves me and receives me. What could be better than that? And then... I know, I know some of us may be sitting here saying, I just wish I could see his glory. I wasn't on that mountain, and I look at what's going on in my life and in my world, and I'm longing for glory to break through, and it's not breaking through. I keep asking Jesus to do this thing for me, And he doesn't. What do I do with that? And and my answer may not be good enough. But if God in his purposes saw fit to conceal his glory in Jesus so that he could do great things, is it possible that right now he's not revealing his glory in your life because he's doing great things. And we're not going to be the Savior. We already have him. But is it possible that our God who is on a mission and who is committed to that mission and who has already shown us the level of his commitment by sending his son to the cross, is it possible that in fulfilling that mission, right now that mission requires concealing his glory in your life? And can we cling to that? And can we still believe that he knows us and that he is good? And then do you want other people to know this Lord of glory? 
this Lord of grace. And what does that look like in your life? Do we want this Jesus proclaimed throughout the earth? Do we want him proclaimed throughout Columbia and Murray County? Do we want him proclaimed everywhere? Because this Jesus is good. He's bigger and he's more maybe than anything we can think or imagine. And he is so good. So he has revealed his glory and he shed his blood. Now we have the Father's voice saying, listen to him. Let's continue seeking to listen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're good, that you're powerful. And we, we thank you that we have a Savior this amazing, this good. Give us eyes to see, give us hearts to receive, give us faith, give us responsiveness. And work in us, we ask, so that the world will see more and more of your glory, so the world can understand your goodness, so the world can understand what you have done for us and for the world. And Father, now as we come to the time where we will celebrate this same gospel message through your table, we ask that you would bless these ordinary elements of bread and of wine, that you would consecrate them. And Lord, that you would make these effective in us, not because of any magic in them, but because when we come together and take of your table, you are present with us. Will you bring blessing, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.